is Malia Hoffman, and I'm here with Fred Ramirez. You are listening to the Carrera Podcast. Today we have two guests, Ellen Hiding and Rachel Thrash. Ellen is a teacher, educator, researcher, trainer, peace educator, instructional coach, and curriculum development consultant. She is from sunny Melbourne, Australia, but grew up in the international school system and has taught in Melbourne, Beijing, Singapore, and Helsinki. Her classroom experience has led her to specialize in embedding community connections and service learning into middle years classrooms, as well as incorporating the IBDP CAS program in older years. She is currently working on her PhD, which focuses on using psychological belongings as a tool to increase academic success of students from non-elite backgrounds who are attending elite educational institutions. As a member of IBEN and with a background in psychology, Ellen knows the power of personalized and relevant experiences and loves co-teaching, facilitating, writing, and planning. She loves everything about learning and believes that education can be forced to unite people for peace and sustainable future. Rachel Thrash is a master teacher who spent her career supporting students and teachers facing questions that matter. Rachel believes that student learning is the process that begins with each individual's perspective. Inciting students to question initial understandings encourages them to broaden their awareness and develop a commitment to thoughtful action. With a master's from Brown University, Rachel has taught humanities and English in independent U.S. schools, public community colleges, and international IB schools. She launched a school-wide enrichment department providing co-curricular learning for pre-K-12 students while developing a mentor program for early career educators. Currently, Rachel teaches MYP English and leads the Growing Service as Action program at the International School of Helsinki. In this role, Rachel supports faculty to initiate student-inspired thoughtful action grounded in curricular inquiry. To learn about Ellen and Rachel's work, check out their website, cultivatingconnectionsthatmatter.org. Welcome, Ellen and Rachel. Thanks so much for being here with us. Could you please, each of you, share your preferred social media outlets that you would or wouldn't mind our listeners to connect with you on? Sure. So I'm Ellen Hating, and uh, you can find me on Twitter at eHating. That's E-H-E-Y-T-I-N-G. And I'm Rachel Thrash, and you can find me on Twitter at Rachel Thrash, and that's R-A-C-H-A-E-L. T-H-R-A-S-H. Um, and so in this, in this age of social, social media, um, that's how I found you guys. <laughs> so, so um, and, and one of the, one of the big things that, that if you could do, if you could tell us about your website, cultivating connections that, that mat, that matter. Um, tell us how you came up with this and, what you actually do. So we are both teachers at the International School of Helsinki here in Finland. And we have had the fortunate pleasure of working together. Um, And last year, we were working with a particularly challenging group of ninth graders. And this group was challenging just in that it didn't have a real gel or connection and a real sense of empathy that some of our other classes had had for one another. And it even included a refugee child from Afghanistan, which was pertinent because on the curriculum that we adopted was a unit on migration and refugees. Wow. 
Um, and so we looked at each other and we thought, you know what, we can't teach this curriculum in any kind of a way that's about pros and cons of migration. Or push and pull factors. Mm-hmm. Like we couldn't really do it in a traditional way. Yeah, and we just thought about this, this child and what that would feel like to him. And we started thinking about how do we approach this in a way that is going to connect with these students and push the needle on what they think about migration and how they connect it to themselves. And so after a lot of brainstorming, we ultimately came up with the unit question, why do we turn away? Um, and we approached migration from the, a focus on storytelling and how you can connect to a person who is going through basically the migrant's journey and how we all have elements of the migrant's journey. And we worked with a um, arts literacy person who helped us figure out how to um, coach the kids in putting on a performance of understanding and an actual theatrical performance that they wrote and developed around a book, Exit West by Mohsin Hamid, about global migration. And I think, you know, it was, uh, it was easy to make that story resonate with our community because we're in an international school here. So, so many of our students do have some form of migration story in their background. So, we really wanted to make, uh, make the unit something that our students could connect with from day one. We wanted to make it personal to them and accessible to them and their own stories from day one. And then we wanted to connect them to the community with people who were working on integrating new arrivals into Finland. And so we found an organization that works with young migrants and puts and matches them with mentor families that are, are Finnish okay. and also runs these um, cafe nights for young migrants. And we started getting our kids to go to the cafe nights. And then we invited that group of young migrants to come to their final performance. And the night of that final performance, where our kids even hosted, after the performance, they hosted a cafe night and they made all these um, like Finnish uh, baked goods. And, you know, there was sharing of all these sort of cultural stories of different backgrounds and everything. And it was just one of those like, you know, moments that gives you teacher chills. It was, it was <laughs> yeah, electrifying. That sounds kind of, incredible. Yeah. And after that, after our kind of high five night and lots of patting ourselves on the back, because honestly, there were many times throughout this unit, we thought, are we crazy? Can we actually do this? Um, We started to reflect on what made that unit so transformational to our students and how we had seen similar moments of transformation in the other units that we had taught, both in seventh grade, we worked together in the ninth grade, and then the more we thought about it, we came up with a what, what we think of as a transformational toolkit for teaching um, that helped us break down a unit into these elements that are really essential to pushing kids and making learning matter to them. And we started look, using that as a template for brainstorming. And then and for, also like as a reflecting tool, you know, I think once we had analyzed this really success, successful unit, and seeing what elements had really worked well in there, we could sort of apply that template sort of back to some of our other units that were good, but maybe not quite as, you know, great as they could be. And then realize, oh, that's because, you know, we didn't get out into the community in that unit, or we didn't, you know, give kids a chance to really reflect in a meaningful way, or we could use it as like a diagnostic tool to sort of Mm -hmm. make all these other units we were teaching even better as well. 
Yeah, and I would say since developing this, not only has our teaching exploded in terms of how we design units, but we've shared this and we've done professional development with our own community and other teachers outside of our community. And we keep hearing this enthusiasm from them, how this has pushed them and allowed them to take some risks in the classroom with learners that they didn't quite know how to put together before. But that's one of the exciting, like we have a, a teacher here who has designed some of these units himself. And he says, you guys are the godmothers of our, my units. <laughs> that's I wouldn't adorable. do this without you. And, and that's, you know, such an exciting thing to hear because when you hear this kind of authentic teaching and learning catching fire and, and happening in multiple places, you just, it, it's, it's, you know, it's so exciting. That's super cool that you guys are willing to share that too, because a lot of educators can become protective of their work. But I think because you also have seen the impact it has on your students, it makes it more worthwhile to share that. So that's really cool. So godmothers, <laughs> as uh, teachers and professors, we have also been interested in community involvement. And it sounds like that's really the catalyst of what you were trying to connect to in that project that you were describing. Um, can you share maybe what you do as part of cultivating um, connections for that community involvement outside of that project that you just shared? Yeah, I think we've really um, tried to re-image what we think about when we think of service learning, um, sort of trying to move away from more traditional ideas of things like bake sales and you know, clothing drives and things like that and sort of centre it again, you know, uh, from from experiences the kids can relate to and then really make it about the community. And, you know, we were told here working in Finland that, oh, it'll never work, you know, you'll never get any opportunities in the community, hmm. you know, um, there's no need for any service in Finland or, wow. um, you know, the, the Finnish, Finnish society is not really that interested in interacting with us as an international school. And, but, you know, we weren't deterred and we sort of, you know, yeah. sent out lots of blind emails requesting help, particularly for, um, you know, that unit. We thought, right, if no one's going to say yes to us or, you know, allow us to get into the community, we need to send out 20 emails to, to maybe get one follow, uh, hope, hopeful lead. But then the opposite happened, you know. I think just about everyone replied back to us and said, wonderful, we'd love to have your, your students involved. We'd love to work with you. We'd love to come and visit you. And so I think we've sort of really seen it more as about like connecting our students with the real world and with the community that we're in rather than more uh, the traditional view of service learning. And, we, and we've, uh, uh, we work really hard in all of our units to think about those moments where you can connect, thinking about the learning and the classroom learning as a laboratory. And like a good laboratory, you need to experiment against reality. Right. And so we really open our classroom doors as much as possible to people who are doing the things we talk about out in the world. And often our units have a social justice element to them. So, for instance, we recently taught a, a unit called Why Do We Resist? And so we talked about hegemonies, what they are, how you can resist hegemonies through symbolic reference to those hegemonies and that is true resistance and so I was trying to think how can we make our kids final project really feel authentic to them and I got in touch with a cafe down the street and I asked them if they'd be willing to display our students art and they 
tend to have a social justice element to this, this Middle Eastern food chain as well. They like to market themselves that way. So they said, sure, please do. And so the next thing, you know, weeks later, kids are putting up their form of resistance art, which wow. just span the gamut of resisting um, political uh, ideology, getting stuck in your head, wow. to policies in Hong Kong, to eating disorders, back to migration. I mean, just this big parental pressure. And they put on this installation that was left in the cafe for two weeks. That's and cool. our community went by and then we talked to the employees and they said, oh, every, all the patrons love discussing the art. Um, and so it was so authentic to kids and so exciting. And that's the kind of, it's service, but it's yeah. not like we're saying to kids, you have to do service. It's more just integrating it so that they see yeah. that their learning has real value as change makers. And it really had um, like service value on so many levels there. Like I think that was with your ninth grade class, that you, tenth, graders, tenth right. graders that you did that. And then I remember I was teaching um, a unit on propaganda with my seventh graders. And so I brought them to have a look at these this artwork by the 10th graders. And, you know, and we sort of analysed oh. their artwork. And actually I got the, some of the 10th graders to come and be like museum guides telling us about nice. them, you know, what, what some of the artwork meant. And then, you know, and then that was engaging my 7th graders with, well, what's yeah. the difference between a resistance text and propaganda and, you know, all of these type of things. And then, of course, they all brought their pocket money and we all, you know, had some fries at the cafe and then we were supporting local businesses and then right. they're, you know, embracing our community more and it's just been this lovely sort of development of this bi-directional relationship since then too. Now, and, and what, what's, been the, what's been the outcome for, for your, own, your own kids um, after, because you were, you were saying that you, that you started this because that ninth grade class wasn't, doing what, you know, you would have wanted them to. So so what's been the outgrowth? Well, it's funny. I'm in my second year of teaching this group that had kind of had a reputation in the community as being a, a challenging group. And I, as um, Ellen and I also serve as service learning coordinators in the school. So I had gone in to this group of students in their advisory period to help them reflect on their upcoming exit interviews for their grade 10 end of the middle years program and our IB program, excuse all the lingo, but point <laughs> is, they have to have an exit interview to discuss how they've done service. And I was so excited to hear this group that honestly was not the group you would have thought connect, would have connected to service, talking about initially the, that turnaway unit I told you about, but then they were talking about this resistance art unit or we did a unit on branding that, um, that the unit title was Why Do We Buy What We Buy? And they rebranded nonprofits in the Helsinki area and offered their expertise and helped give feedback. Um, and so they were referencing that. And then they did personal projects and they integrated service into that. And, so, and then they actually recently um, stood up and, and developed their own poetry at a slam poetry cafe breakfast in, a, in another local establishment. Wow. And so they were talking about all of these different experiences they had with pride and, they, and, and referencing the skills that they had developed. And so I, I like to think that it's, it's had a real impact on this group and what they think of as the importance of their learning that really when we first met them, was very much transactional and grade-based. And now they think about impact in a different way. Wow. 
That's great. And because you are in Finland, uh, based on the reading that I've done, I've come to learn that that is more of a teaching philosophy in the schools is to be more impact and experience-based versus uh, grade-based. Is that is that what you're experiencing too, or is that just kind of <laughs> propaganda <laughs> that I'm reading? <laughs> oh, look, it's probably definitely an element of that. You know, I, I do like watching all the foreign news stories on the Finnish education system, but no, I think we're we're really lucky to be in this sort of this cultural context because kids do come come to us from Finnish culture with this sort of ingrained sense of you know responsibility and social responsibility, but also of uh, autonomy and agency. They know that they can affect the world. So for us, it's, you know, just a, a matter of putting the tools in their hands to get out there and have the impact that they want to have. That's a really powerful thing to instill in kids yeah. is to tell them and to empower them, to kn- let them know that they can change the world. So it sounds like some really fun activities to do that. Um, if you can, um, because... There's there's probably a lot of people listening um, and and kind of us that we may we may have our own stereotypes of Finland. Um, in fact, I would I would gather to to guess that ninety percent of the U.S. population can't point it out mm-hmm. on like a map. Um, <laughs> so can you can you give us some 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 insight because you you alluded to it a little bit? Can you give us some insight into the culture and, and traditions of education in, in, in Finland. Um, an interesting study in that at the end of World War II, it was completely bankrupt, impoverished, and their educational system actually ranked in the lowest five wow. of the world, the lowest five countries of the world. And as a society, they made a decision that they were going to invest in education more than anything else. And they actually decided to make teaching one of the most competitive fields to get into. They, mm. they said, you know, this is the way that we are going to rise as a society. And so in the, in the generation since then, there has just been exponential growth. And a lot of it has to do with the fact that teachers are treated with respect, are given a lot of autonomy over their curriculum and enjoy their teaching, enjoy their work. It is, it is not a standard-based curriculum. It is concept-based. It is experiential, particularly in the lower school. Um, and so we don't teach, um, maybe 15% of our kids are Finnish kids um, because we're in an international school. Yeah, It is lovely to be in a society that values education the way that Finland does and values the child. Um, there's great respect for children and their individuality and their autonomy. Um, and so our kids come to us knowing that we're going to treat them with respect. And oftentimes that's, it, that filters out to even our kids who aren't Finnish. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in Finnish society, education, the value of education is, is so ingrained in every element of Finnish society that it, it's summed up for me by my two favourite days here in Finland. The first one is this thing called penkaret, 
And it's this tradition where right before um, the, the university entrance exams uh, were in the, you know, right after the war. And it, back in those days, the only place you could take these university entrance exams were in Helsinki in the capital. So students from all over the, the country um, would, on one day, they would finish up their high school study and head to the capital to take these exams. And so the whole community of the village or the town would come out on the street and cheer as they sled it off <laughs> to Helsinki to take their exams. And even today now, we, we still do this tradition. So all of our grade 12 students climb onto a truck and details <laughs> or anything. And, you know, we, you know, we cheer them off and, you know, they throw candy to the little kids oh, and yeah, they drive cool. around Helsinki for two hours with wow. all the people come out of their offices and just cheer for, you know, all the, the grade 12 students. Wow. Were about. That's really like, cool. Just such a, a wonderful day. And the other one is uh, what they call VAPU, which they, they celebrate on May 1. And instead of being about workers here in Finland, it's about students. So everyone who's ever graduated high school gets this funny little sailor hat here in Helsinki <laughs> when they graduate. And on VAPU, on May 1, everyone who's graduated from high school wears their funny little sailor, sailor hat and with comes out. With such pride. With such pride. You know, 80-year-old men are wearing yeah. their... <laughs> and they're probably yellow and gross by, by that age. But they, everyone comes out. And again, it's about celebrating education and people's achievements and wishing them well for the future. So so both of you came came from different places in order to, in, in order to teach there. Um, how was, how was that? Was there any type of cultural conflict or anything, anything going, going on for both of you? Because now both of you just, when you, we, we, we can see it in your, in, in your faces, you're, you're just glowing about teaching there. So how was, how was those first couple months? Well, I, I'm a mother. I have two children and they're sort of in that preteen and teen age. And so when we first moved here, they're a little bit more conscious of, people looking at us than, than you know, my husband and I are as adults. And my son, one of his first comments was, Mom, shh, shh, look around. We're the only people making noise. <laughs> because one of the, the really striking thing about Finns is they are very quiet. Wow. And being in a public place with Finnish people, supermarkets, metros, restaurants, people are peaceful and silent and they don't disturb each other. Wow. And as Americans, we that is not necessarily our cultural norm. <laughs> and so we've had to become accustomed to that. And now the reverse is true when we go back to the States for holidays. Oh. It feels incredibly loud and chaotic. Huh. That's wow. interesting. You might have to tell from my, my accent that I'm Australian, but I actually moved here. I was living in Singapore before I moved to Finland. So talk about, you know, two really excellent education systems, but for they get excellent results, but I think for very different reasons. Um, so in, in some ways, Finland and Singapore are very similar. You know, they're very clean and safe and orderly and efficient, but in other regards, they're just worlds apart. Um, you know, the, the value here in Finland on, you know, quality of life and work-life balance and nature and um, things like that, which is, was a bit of a, a different set of priorities when I was working in Singapore. And so I think, you know, I've, sometimes I think I've really found my spiritual home because I'm a little bit introverted and I quite like that Finns don't talk that. <laughs> <laughs> you 
nope, they like their space on public transport and, you know, all of those things. So, yeah, so it's, it was certainly certainly a bit of a, a shake-up coming here. Okay. Sounds very what interesting. About, what about teaching-wise? I mean, and I think, I think Ellen, you kind of shared that Singapore is similar. Um, and so was it was it kind of a smoother transition into the into the Finnish schools um, as opposed to you, Rachel? So I wouldn't say actually it was. Um, I think the results are quite similar between okay. looking at PISA results and things like that. You know, Singapore and Finland tend to do quite well, um, but the the style of education systems are, are miles apart. Oh. Uh, in Singapore, my students, you know, would would come to my classes and, you know, do everything I say and and ask for more work and, you know, <laughs> be reading every extension, you know, thing I, I possibly post and then would go off to tutoring centres at night and wow. try to do more work as well. And if they didn't get anything except, you know, the, the top grades, they'd be devastated and, you know, wonder why they, you know, were failures at life and, and all of this Aww. type And it was... In, in, in some regards, it was, you know, extremely rewarding because, you know, I got to work with this really high-flying group of kids and, and push myself and push them in, in ways that I'd never really thought about before. Um, but in other regards, it was really soul-destroying, I think, you know, for, yeah. for them as well. Yeah. And, and one thing that I love about our school, and this is, and again, our school is an international school, so it, it, it doesn't follow the Finnish curriculum, but our school is deeply committed to inclusion on all levels. And so we really have a wide range of learners. And that has also been our inspiration in creating our, our transformational teaching toolkit, because when you are teaching to a range of kids that really go between kids with um, documented learning challenges to some really high flyers all in the same classroom, you need to connect each of them to that curriculum in, in a way that inspires them and give each of them a voice so that there's equality in the classroom on every level. Um, and so that has been, it, it's in the water here in our school. It is in the way we talk about everything we do. It is such a growth mindset school. And that's been really supportive to the way that we've developed our materials. And okay. I, I will just add, um, when I was working in Singapore, it wasn't all doom and gloom. I, it was, it was <laughs> a wonderful experience. And, and actually, <laughs> I, was, I was at a wonderful school in Singapore called uh, United World College of Southeast Asia. And it, with, it also has a real social justice slant. And I think that's what was so appealing for me to work at it. And I just, I grew and flourished as a professional there and learnt so many of the, the tools and strategies that I use today. And it, it, it made me a better person working there and a better teacher. So I'm, I am really grateful for my time working in Singapore as well. Can you share with us maybe some of your favorite lessons that you've taught? Well, I, I will admit to, um, I tend to use the same lesson on day one, year after year. Um, in a, in, if it's a humanities lesson and I call it the, the chocolate lesson and it's um, we I ask kids to, to come in and you know write me a uh, some a story about a time that they were enjoying a chocolate treat and you know that's a nice sort of icebreaker type of thing everyone's got a story or two that they you know want to tell about chocolate and it's nice and we share our stories and we say oh yes isn't chocolate delicious and we have this nice little bonding moment mm -hmm. and then I ask them the question 
you know, is ignorance bliss? Is it best just to live in these worlds where, you know, maybe we have limited information, but we can, you know, feel good about ourselves and, and the world that we inhabit? And, you know, we ponder and we go back and forth a little bit. And then I show them like a 10-minute documentary about child slavery practices involved in the chocolate industry. Oh. And we all... <laughs> Day one. She's yeah. tough. <laughs> we all look at our oh feet. Alan, I was, I was like going, yes, chocolate. I know. Oh and then I thought you were going to say, and then I bring them chocolate ice cream and then we... Um, yeah. <laughs> wait for it. And then so after, you know, we all start, you know, oh you know, looking at our feet and feeling a bit like the world is ending. I, um, I produce two plates of chocolate and, you know, one is a fair trade, um, slavery-free certified, you know, chocolate wrap uh, uh, bar all broken up into pieces and the other one is just a cheap one from the supermarket. And so I have these two plates there and I, and I tell students, you know, um, so this cheap plate of chocolate, there's enough here for a piece for everybody and, you know, and this is for you. You're welcome to have a piece of this. That's, that's your choice. And then over here, this is, you know, some slavery-free chocolate that I bought, but I bought that with my own money and it was a bit more expensive. So if you'd like to have a piece of this chocolate, you have to leave me an IOU for 10 cents. And then I say, um, I'm going to leave the classroom now for five minutes. So I'm going to, I'm going to go. I usually do this, you know, as the class is ending. Yeah. I'm going to go off now. And so what you guys do, the only rule is you have to stay in the room until the bell goes. So another five minutes. You can you know, take the free chocolate if you want. You can take the slavery-free chocolate and leave me an IOU note or you can abstain. You can do nothing at all. And then I leave and, you know, come back after they've all gone to lunch and see what's happened. And it always gives me like, a you know, an interesting feel about what I'm up against for the year, about what yeah. kind of kids I've got in that room, you know. I so love, I love it. that as a day one activity. Do you document your results year after year to see like... If there's a ch- like a progressive change one way or the other? I've just had the, the whole gambit of, of all different types of results. I've had everything from all, all the chocolate gone and no IOUs. <laughs> to a bunch of IOUs or even, you know, some loose change that kids have had in their pocket and uh-huh. none of the chocolate even taken. So you, wow. get, you get the whole gambit. And then, and then does, that, does that parallel that, that academic year? Well, remember we told you about that tricky class? Yes. The tricky class started with the chocolate story. And then Ellen and I came into the classroom. And not only was all the chocolate taken, but there was one tiny little note that said, sorry. Like one child. I think it was the saddest note. And that was when we started thinking, we can't teach this class in the way that we've taught before. We need to move toward impact and faster and more intentionally because this group is not seeing the importance of their impact. That's 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 really funny. And crazy. <laughs> yes, and crazy. <laughs> yeah. So can you tell us a little bit maybe about how your students are connected to the curriculum and maybe some other units that you might have created to inspire this? Sure. So right now I'm working on a unit. Ellen doesn't happen to be teaching this one. It's a grade she's not teaching, but that calls uh, that's called How Do We Navigate Difference? 
Um, and so I'm working with kids to help them develop the skills to navigate difficult conversations. And then also to, I'm working with a different colleague who is a individuals and societies teacher. And so we'll be helping them see historical precedent for navigating difference. And then ultimately they'll be analyzing some negotiations and thinking about why they went well and why they didn't. And so in helping my students connect to the topic, I'm assigning them the having difficult conversations on, in their own personal lives and scaffolding the, those skills for them. And we're doing lots of interesting simulations. Like just yesterday, they spent time doing a listening simulation in which they had to artificially not interrupt each other at all. And this was driving them crazy. Um, but they're starting to develop these skills. And then oftentimes their homework is to try to not interrupt or to watch body language or to reflect on their emotions during a conversation. So in this way, they're using language skills, they're using writing skills, but they're really connecting to it on a personal level. And they're talking to me about, I'm worried about a friend of mine who's in a difficult relationship and I think I'm gonna use this assessment to talk to her. Or wow. I'm nervous about my choices for the diploma program next year and I need to talk to my parents about it and I'm going to think about these skills in order to prepare for that. That's incredible and brave of the students to take something that is pretty personal and to share that with you. It is. On a more um, critical level. I have, I think when you teach um, in the way that Ellen and I are, are, are working on articulating, then you, you end up challenging kids to some authentic experiences that they have to take some risks. Like when we go back to that performance that they put on for a refugee group or putting up their work in a, a art cafe, they have to take big risks. And so your role as teacher moves into coaching them to be able to take on these risks. And they see you not as this arbiter of if their work is good or not, but rather as their ally. And oftentimes I try to do the work with them. So when I mentioned that poetry cafe before, I wrote my own poem and I stood up and, and I don't tend to write poems. I love writing, but poetry isn't my medium, but I took a risk with them. And we all did this thing together. And so the trust that you develop with your students when they see you as caring more about their process than what their grade was yeah, is, is really profound. Yeah, And I think this type of teaching is, it, it's riskier and messier mm -hmm. than traditional teaching. Correct. And I think the kids see that and they're, they, you know, they, what it, they see us feeding into that and having a go at new things and putting ourselves out there. And they see some lessons that really flop. Sure. And we all have a laugh about it. We say, well, that didn't go how, how <laughs> it right? we dissect it and we get feedback and then we reflect on that. And then through that, you know, even a bit of modeling of, of that whole process, I find that they're so much more willing to join you in that risk taking and have a go at things that they might not be willing to in more traditional models. Yeah, because what you're what you're doing is, I, I, I like that that there's this uh, that there's a lot of teachers out out there, and, and and the basis for for what we're doing in this podcast is talking about problem based learning, service learning, but you're also going into the realm of now social 
of social justice, which, which, you know, a lot of, a lot of people, when they, when they hear that term, they freak out, Mm. um, for a variety of different reasons. Um, give us what, give us your, your definition of what this is, of what, of what social, social justice is. Oh, social justice to me is empowering students to feel like they can engage with injustice in the world and giving them the tools to identify it and then examples of how to face it and the desire to want to make changes. Yeah, for me, social justice education is, is it's, a, it's a tool for equity, I guess. And that's really, you know, I, I find it maybe consciously or unconsciously seeping into all my units, I think. Okay. I like that because it's 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 something at least at least here in the in the in the states um, a lot of teachers are trying to do it but they're but they're finding that there's pushback if they if they say that that word but if they don't say it but then say well you know these are the types of things that I'm doing then it's accepted um, and so it's is is was there a lot of um, how's how's the Finnish culture there with regards to um, social justice. Well, it's interesting because Finland is very progressive. So in terms of the community at large, there's much support. But we, we have worked with students who are, are leery of social justice, are, are um, apprehensive. And perhaps, I mean, last year we were working with some groups who really saw, saw themselves as alt-right. And meanwhile, we're trying to teach them to, to have empathy toward migrants. And, and there was some conflict there. Um, but we are mature adults. They are students experimenting with ideologies. And so in order to keep them connected and learning, we just needed to keep them talking, keep them challenging us, allow for that vehicle for challenge and point out where okay, if you're following these steps of critical thinking, even if your thinking comes to a different place than what I maybe want it to be, then that's okay. Work it out. Um, And wonderfully, one of those very students has come to me this year and said, you know what? I was really under the influence of the alt-right through my gaming community. And I have come to critically reflect and I feel really differently. Um, and so sometimes you just have to give kids that time um, and and allow them to develop and you can't you can't push it. Yeah, and I think um, you know it's it's one of the most beautiful things about working in an international community, but also one of the biggest challenges is the you know the divergence of views we have amongst our parent community and our student community. We, we have everything from you know far left progressive liberal families and then you know conservative, Mormon and Catholic and Wahhabi Muslim parents as well. So oh. we run the full gamut at, at our school. And, you know, as long as whatever views students are bringing to the class and, and to their learning, as long as it's not impinging on anyone else's right to feel safe, yeah. you know, I think our role is really to, you know, give them a, a safe space to, to voice that and then maybe challenge their thinking a little bit and let their thinking challenge ours a little bit as well. That's great. So uh, it sounds like most of your projects are project-based and service learning. Um, my question is, how, 
how did that become part of your teaching philosophy? How did that become part of how you decided this is how I want to teach? I think if you're going to inspire students to transfer their learning and and I, we, we throw the word transfer around a lot in education, but to me, what it really means is if they can take your learning that you've provided for them in the classroom and they can apply it to something that makes a difference to them, that they care about, that they can return to, then you know you've really achieved something, that you've achieved growth. And I think what's essential to helping kids find that growth is to give them an opportunity to do something unique, to take all of the lessons you've given them, all of the learning prompts, and let them put their own personal spin on that thing to an audience that matters to them, that ups the ante, that the audience is not just, my teacher's going to read this essay, because that doesn't, some of them are really bought into the whole grade thing, but they aren't all. And so if you can create a scenario for them where they feel like their work has intrinsic value and they're taking a risk to apply new ideas, then, then you've hit educational pay dirt. Um, and so as we've realized that, and that's, that's been part of both of our careers all along, um, I've always been a very project-based teacher because it gives kids that opportunity to be creative and find their own path. And I mean, I think it's just good teaching, you know, when we talk about project-based learning and and, service and community integration into the curriculum. And I think uh, I was, you know, when I was much younger in my career, when I was working in Beijing uh, teaching, I had this wonderful mentor teacher. And I, I think it was even before the terminology project-based learning was around, he was just doing this type of stuff and I was learning from him and I just thought that was good teaching. And then yeah. these buzzwords, project-based learning, come around. <laughs> Isn't that just teaching? Isn't that what we're doing? Yeah, so I, I don't think I've really known much much different. So have you have you come across any any teachers? Are there are there common questions about what what you do from your from your colleagues, or is, are there um, do you work with one another? How does that work? I think sometimes our, our colleagues have been enthusiastic about what what we're doing but I have had people say to us where do you find all these people <laughs> we'll have like a jazz trio coming in when we're talking about the connection between poetry and music or we'll suddenly have a branding expert or we'll have indigenous activists in the school and and so Ellen and I have a tendency to just reach out and get this wide collection of people to make it real to our students. And so I think that sometimes educators can be sort of introverts or not necessarily networkers. It, it isn't part of each teacher training, certainly, to learn how to network. Wow. Um, but I think that that can be overcome. I think that there is an excitement in introducing your kids to people who are doing the skills you're teaching out in the real world and making a difference. And once you start tapping that vein to figure out who, you know, Twitter's great, um, your network of friends and family, Facebook, you know, how, just, I, I use the PTO a lot here at our school and I'll say, I just sent a message out the other day. Does anybody know a mediator? Or are there any uh, parents who would be interested in coming in and giving 
interviews to kids so that they can practice the interview skills. Like reach out to everyone you know so that you can help kids think about a community outside the classroom. Yeah, and I think we're quite shameless too in that. You know, we'll just, (laughs) you know, like brain imaging labs in Helsinki and email the three that are there and hope that someone gets back to it or or things like that. And I'm just always, you know, pleasantly surprised with how many people say yes and how many people love the idea of showing off their work to kids, you know, and do want to involve with young people. You know, I think that's uh, we we just interviewed someone else who was a who was a superintendent who uh, who was talking about that too. That if you that there's often a lot of people will will respond positively if it's if it's a school um, that if it's if it's a host of third third graders or or twelfth twelfth graders that if they get to go into a you know into a school or do a or do a video chat. Um, more than likely, they're gonna they're gonna say yes, um, and I think I think what you what what you said, Rachel, is very true, and it's and it's a problem within teacher teacher education. We don't teach teachers how to how to reach out and just ask, yeah. um, you know, be, because really that's all it is. I mean, that's how we connected, and I'm and I'm sure now we'll you know we we might connect through other things. Um, you know, just, you know, just because of, just because of something as stupid as his phone. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Great. Well, our last question for you two today is what is your call to action? The one thing that you want to share or people to take away from, from you, from what you've shared with us? For me, it's, it's get messy. Like, don't be a, don't be afraid of, of the messiness and you know the the risky nature of this type of teaching. I think you know anything that wasn't maybe isn't as impactful as what it could be. And have fun with your students. I'm, as as I referenced before, you get to know your kids on a different level when you're you're trusting them to take on real challenge. And so, like like Ellen's saying, be risk taking, be messy. And know that you can build in the assessment models that you need to make sure that you're giving them the academic skills. That isn't a problem if you've created challenge and authentic connection for them. But you and the students will feel so much more connected to the process and excited about it. And and so go for it. You know, start now. You you don't have to wait. It's never going to be the perfect unit. You just, you got to give it a try and and be honest with your kids that you don't know where this unit is going sometimes (laughs) and just adjust as you go along. And that's part of the power of it too. Great. Well, thank you, Ellen and Rachel, so much um, to learn from you too. And it's really great to have you on and thank you for sharing your stories. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having us.